Happy New Year, dear listener. Before I begin today, I just wanted to take a brief moment to wish you and yours all the best for 2024. I also wanted to acknowledge some feedback that I received during my break while I was off for the holidays, some notes that really made my day when I received them. First off, friend of the podcast JB told me of a man down in Florida who has been having some hard times, but through a mutual friend was introduced to the podcast, and it has been helping him out during some rough moments. So Don V in Florida, I'm very glad to have you around and hope that hearing your name on the podcast makes you smile. Also, I received a note just yesterday from Russell Williams, who is one of the tour narrators over at Arlington, who was introduced to the podcast by a new narrator that they have out at the cemetery. Thank you for your kind words, Russell. It always means a lot to hear from people that are associated with one of my favorite places. Five or so years ago, well before I started this podcast, I was on a work trip to Hawaii on the island of Oahu, to be specific. Though I had not started the podcast, I had already read Robert Poole's On Hallowed Ground, The Story of Arlington National Cemetery, the book that inspired me to start Ghosts of Arlington and provided much of the information for the first several episodes. While in Honolulu, at the Hawaii Army Museum adjacent to Waikiki Beach, I came across a book in the gift shop called A History of Punchbowl, Arlington of the Pacific. So, of course, I picked it up. I had already been to the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, but I didn't know the history behind the land and I wanted to learn more. Plus, I figured that if I ever highlighted each of the more than 400,000 people interred at Arlington, this would give me more material if I wasn't quite ready to hang up the microphone just yet. Okay, I have no undue notion that I will actually get through everyone at Arlington, and I also don't think that should stop me from telling the story of arguably the second best-known national cemetery. So for the next several weeks, I have decided to transform Ghosts of Arlington into Ghosts of the Pacific. And this is episode 111, The Arlington of the Pacific, Part 1. Because of its shape, the old volcanic crater rising 461 feet, or 140 meters, over downtown Honolulu on the island of Oahu is called, no, not Diamond Head. That famous crater is southwest of Waikiki Beach. The crater I am talking about is more northwest of Hawaii's capital city, and due to its shape, is today known as Punchbowl. 
This crater was formed some 75,000 to 100,000 years ago during the Honolulu period of secondary volcanic activity. It was the result of the ejection of hot lava through cracks in the old coral reefs, which at the time extended to the foot of the Ko'olau mountain range. When the islands were settled by native Hawaiians, or Kanaka Maoli, the crater was originally called Pu'owaina, possibly derived from Pu'u'owaihoana, meaning hill of sacrifice. Ancient stories say that the rim of the crater was the site of Luakini Heiau, a temple where human sacrifices were occasionally offered. Below the Luakini Heiau, on the slopes of Pu'owaiana, stood several lesser temples. The temples served the small Hawaiian settlement that lived, farmed, and fished where Honolulu now stands. Luakini Heiau stood over them all. According to tradition, only those who violated the greatest taboos or laws were offered as sacrifices at the Luakini Heiau. They were drowned in a sacred pool. Later accounts say that the victims submitted tamely, afraid of offending the gods or exposing their families to punishment. Afterwards, the body was taken in a solemn procession up to the rim of the crater, where it was burned on a stone of sacrifice. The smoke could be seen from a great distance and served as a warning to all to heed the laws of the land. In 1795, the temples of Punchbowl witnessed the Battle of Nu'uanu when Chief Kamehameha from the Big Island of Hawaii conquered the ruling chiefs of Oahu. Kamehameha is known to have offered the last sacrifice at Luakini Heiau in 1809. In 1819, Kamehameha, the founder of the native dynasty that unified and ruled the islands for much of the 19th century, died. After his death, the chiefs abandoned the old religion and embraced Christianity. The temples along the crater slope were either abandoned or forgotten, and today no trace remains of the earliest stone of sacrifice. It was under Kamehameha that Punchbowl became a fort. In 1816, his forces built Honolulu Fort near Honolulu Harbor and mounted a battery of eight 32-pound cannons on Punchbowl's rim to further protect the fort and harbor. The cannons were also used to salute important visitors nearing, entering, or leaving the harbor. When the frigate Blonde arrived in 1825, she was greeted by salutes from Honolulu and Punchbowl Forts. Lord Byron, commander of the Blonde, noted the eight cannons and their location in his log. This Lord Byron, the seventh baron and cousin to the famous poet George Gordon Byron, traveled to Hawaii to return the bodies of King Kamehameha II and Queen Kamamalu of the Kingdom of Hawaii, who had died after contracting the measles while trying to visit King George IV. 
the Hawaiian king was 26 years old and his queen was either 21 or 22. Under the rule of many kings, governors, and commandants, Fort Pu'uwaina was maintained and expanded throughout the 19th century. The famous Hawaiian chief Boki was one of the most well-known of Oahu's early governors. He may have been responsible for the addition of six new cannons to the battery on Punchbowl. Boki later appointed his younger cousin, Manuia, to command Honolulu Fort, which was then called Kekuanohu. Presumably, command of Punchbowl Battery fell to the commander of the main fort. As Honolulu grew, people settled on the slopes of Punchbowl. Early in the 1880s, the government began to formally lease land lots for house plots. The lots were steep, but the views were magnificent. In those days, one would have been able to see the duck ponds and rice fields of Mo'ili'ili and Waikiki in the distance, and the plains of Honolulu covered with algaroba and monkey pod trees, white farmhouses, picket fences, and flowering shrubs in the foreground. The Hawaiian government also built a road into the crater, which at the time was a rocky dry place of kiawe trees and cactus. Sightseers could now take their carriages up into the crater and then climb up to the rim to take in the view. In 1893, a group of American sugar barons under Sanford Ballard Dole overthrew Queen Liliuokalani and established a new provincial government with Dole as president. The coup occurred with the foreknowledge of John L. Stevens, the U.S. minister to Hawaii, and 300 U.S. Marines from the cruiser USS Boston were called in, ostensibly to protect American lives. Stevens recognized Dole's new government on his own authority and proclaimed Hawaii a U.S. protectorate. Dole submitted a treaty of annexation to the U.S. Senate, but most Democrats opposed it, especially after it was discovered that most Hawaiians did not want annexation. U.S. President Grover Cleveland sent a new minister to Hawaii to restore the Queen to the throne under the 1887 Constitution, but Dole refused to step aside and instead proclaimed the Independent Republic of Hawaii. Cleveland was unwilling to overthrow this government by force, and his successor, President William McKinley, negotiated a treaty with the Republic of Hawaii in 1897. In 1898, the Spanish-American War broke out, and the strategic use of the naval base at Pearl Harbor during the war convinced Congress to approve formal annexation, which is when the U.S. military took control of Honolulu Fort and Punchbowl Battery. The fort was allowed to decay, the old cannons rusted in the weeds, and the crater was used as a firing range. In 1920, one of the Punchbowl cannons was moved to the Bishop Museum in Honolulu. In 1988, it was moved to the front of the Army Museum of Hawaii at Fort DeRussi in Waikiki, where it is still located today. 
it may or may not have been one of the original cannons placed in the early 1800s. After the monarchy was overthrown and the former crown lands passed to the control of the U.S. government, a presidential executive order on January 18, 1906, set aside some Oahu crown land for the use of the U.S. military, lands that included the old Punchbowl Fort. Three days later, War Department General Order 21 established the Punchbowl Military Reservation. The Army built five observation stations on Punchbowl's rim to acquire target range and azimuth information for coastal artillery stations. These observation posts were completed around 1911. In July 1917, the Army set up two gun emplacements on the rim to house three-inch anti-aircraft guns. The gun emplacements were circular platforms, 12 feet or just over 3.5 meters in diameter, rimmed by concrete walls. The emplacements were 200 feet or 61 meters apart and were intended as backups to the four 12-inch mortars of Battery Harlow at Diamond Heads Fort Ruger. Responsibility for the emplacements was transferred to the coastal defenses on Honolulu in January 1918. In 1920, the Army built another observation station on the southwest side of the crater rim. This station was to service the guns at Fort Kamehameha at the entrance to Pearl Harbor. In 1934, yet another station was dug into the crater rim to service a new pair of 16-inch guns at Battery Hatch, located on Fort Barrett in Kapolei. Throughout the 1930s, much of the crater was used as a rifle range for the Hawaii Territorial Guard. On July 12, 1942, six months after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Brigadier General Robert C. Garrett, commander of all Hawaiian seacoast artillery, ordered the creation of a new battery called Punchbowl Battery. By late December 1942, four 155mm artillery pieces were mounted on reinforced concrete Panama mounts and placed on the southeast rim of the crater. As World War II continued, the Army planned further work at Punchbowl. The Hawaiian Defense Project proposed building five modern 6-inch batteries on Oahu with one of them to be placed on Punchbowl's south face. Between two of the existing gun emplacements, construction started in 1943 and was almost complete when Japan surrendered in September 1945. This unfinished battery consisted of two tunnels, each nearly 300 feet or 91 meters long, dug through the south face of the crater. These tunnels are 320 feet or 97 and a half meters apart and connected by a third tunnel. Though construction was abandoned at the end of the war, these tunnels were never filled in and are still visible today. 
a concrete structure just outside the portals that were used to access the tunnels is now used as a restroom, and the tunnels themselves are used to store the cemetery's utility vehicles. The fort itself was never used in battle, and was unable to help defend Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked in December 1941. Well before World War II, during the late 1890s, a municipal committee first recommended using Punchbowl as a new cemetery to meet the needs of the growing population of Honolulu, but the proposal was rejected over fear that a cemetery might contaminate the city's water supply. Fifty years later, in the 1940s, Congress approved a small appropriation to establish a national cemetery in Honolulu. There were two provisions. One, that the location be acceptable to the War Department, and two, that the site be donated rather than purchased. In 1941, the Hawaii legislature allocated $50,000 to establish a national cemetery of the Pacific. Less than a month later, the Japanese attacked. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. In the Pearl Harbor raid, 2,403 service members were killed. Many of the bodies were trapped in ships that had been sunk and could not be retrieved including the more than 1,100 soldiers and marines who rest forever in the sunken battleships USS Arizona and USS Utah. However, there were still many bodies that needed to be buried, and they were taken to cemeteries scattered all over Oahu. Most of these remains would later be relocated to the National Cemetery of the Pacific. Nanette Napoleon, a prominent Hawaii cemetery historian, described one of these burials at the Oahu Cemetery as follows. Two large trenches, about 50 yards in length, were dug in the Maukaiwa side of the cemetery to serve as a temporary resting place for those heroes. Later, on January 1, 1942, an impressive memorial service was held at the same cemetery for the naval casualties of Pearl Harbor. Twelve soldiers killed at Pearl Harbor are still at Oahu Cemetery today, including three from the USS Arizona. The rest of the bodies were moved to a permanent resting place at Punchbowl. In 1943, the governor of Hawaii offered the interior of Punchbowl as the site for the proposed National Cemetery. The already approved $50,000 congressional appropriation, however, proved to be insufficient for the project, so it was deferred until after World War II. In 1947, Congress and veterans organizations placed a great deal of pressure on the military to find a permanent burial site in Hawaii for the remains of thousands of World War II service members who were at the time temporarily interred on the island of Guam awaiting a permanent burial. 
Subsequently, the army began planning the Punchbowl Cemetery, and in February 1948, Congress approved additional funding and construction began. The first burial at the National Cemetery of the Pacific happened on January 4, 1949. It was that of an unknown soldier who lost his life during the Pearl Harbor raid. That grave is marked A-1. 775 others killed at Pearl Harbor were also buried that day. Due to the large number of bodies to be interred, the military decided to conduct the initial burials in three phases. On the first day, the deceased were displayed in a temporary mausoleum in Pearl Harbor. Each casket was draped with a U.S. flag and, when possible, tagged with the name, age, and rank of the deceased. On the second day, workers removed the flags, which were then folded and stored in labeled plastic bags. The caskets were then loaded onto flatbed trucks. Meanwhile, up at the cemetery, five-foot or one-and-a-half-meter-long trenches were dug to receive the remains, and the location of each future grave was marked. On the third day, the remains were transported under military escort to Punchbowl. The caskets were placed in front of the trenches, each at its proper spot. The flags were again unfolded and laid on the caskets. Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, and Buddhist funeral services were held and ended with the playing of taps and a three-rifle volley. At the conclusion of the ceremony, cranes lifted the caskets into the trenches, bulldozers filled the trenches with dirt, and provisional white crosses were placed in front of each burial site. The flags were returned to the mausoleum to be wrapped and sent to the deceased's next of kin. Several months later, the cemetery was ready to receive more of the war dead. The remains of service members around the Pacific Theater of War were transported to Hawaii for final interment. They were buried on July 19, 1949. Five special services were held that day, including one for civilian war correspondent Ernie Pyle, who was killed in the final battle of World War II, and whose story will be told just as soon as I finish the history of the cemetery. The official grand opening of the National Cemetery of the Pacific was held on September 2, 1949, exactly four years to the day after Japan signed the unconditional surrender that ended World War II. Eventually, 11,587 World War II service members and an additional 2,079 unknowns would be laid to rest at Punchbowl. As the United States engaged in other wars and police actions over the years, more service members were laid to rest in the cemetery. 
The best known of those police actions was the Korean War, which I first mentioned on this podcast all the way back in episode 12, when both the World War II and Korean unknown soldiers were interred at Arlington. The conflict itself began on June 25, 1950, when the Soviet-backed Northern People's Democratic Republic of Korea attacked the U.S.-backed Southern Republic of Korea and lasted until an armistice was signed on July 27, 1953. Korean War burials in Hawaii began on February 2, 1956 when 19 unknown soldiers were interred at Punchbowl. Eventually, all the unknowns from the Korean War, with the exception of the one at the memorial in Arlington, were buried at Punchbowl. Between February and May of 1956, some 866 unknowns were laid to rest. In time, they were joined by 1,242 known killed in action in Korea. Most of these burials were in the cemetery's Section U. There were also the missing in action to be considered. MIAs of World War II were being memorialized in Punchbowl's Courts of the Missing, and eventually the names of 8,163 Korean conflict MIAs were added to the 18,093 MIAs from World War II. This memorialization took more than seven years to complete. 36,279 additional World War II MIAs are memorialized at the Manila Military Cemetery in the Philippines. Work at the Courts of the Missing was still ongoing when the U.S. entered the Vietnam War. The first Vietnam casualty to arrive in Hawaii was buried in Punchbowl in 1962. By the war's end, 213 service members killed in that war were buried there. The 2,489 Vietnam-era MIAs were memorialized in two new half-courts dedicated in 1980. These new courts are located at the foot of the stairway leading to the Honolulu Memorial. I'm going to pause here for today. Next week, I will wrap up talking about the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, following which I will spend some time highlighting just a few individuals interred there before returning the podcast's focus back to Arlington. If you need more Ghosts of Arlington content in your life, there are pictures related to every episode on the website www. .ghostsofarlingtonpodcast.com You can help others learn about the podcast by leaving a 5-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you really want to make my day, refer the show to a friend. And remember, fear not death, for the sooner we die, the longer we shall be immortal. 